Hello, and welcome to Tabs Not Spaces. It's Saturday, September 12th, and this is what you need to know today. And rather unexpectedly, I'm going to start by mentioning that the last show provoked some negative feedback, with several of you unhappy about my characterization of Mitchell Baker's words. I had hoped to encourage debate about whether it's appropriate for a browser manufacturer to embrace online censorship quite so enthusiastically. And if so, how that squares with the ability of individuals to shape the internet and their own experiences on it, as Mozilla's own manifesto puts it. But it seems as though quite a few people just flat out agree with Baker, and would rather have views that they personally disagree with hidden away from others online. There's plenty of Linux and open source news to get to in today's show, so perhaps now isn't the best time to discuss why paternalistically removing agency from another adult human might not be the act of kindness some seem to believe. But if anybody wants to reach out, I'll be happy to engage off-air. I also don't want to keep reporting on Mozilla in a negative way, but sometimes the organization makes that a darn hard thing to do. Which brings us to the first real story of today's show, and the news that Mozilla is introducing a paid promotion scheme for Firefox extension developers. The pilot program will see interested devs paying to gain a special badge on their extension listings, and for an additional fee will offer them the opportunity of sponsored placement on the Mozilla add-ons homepage. While the scheme is entirely voluntary, anyone who works in online retail will tell you that when a platform adopts promoted listings, most everyone is forced to use them, or see their own products buried out of sight. So while it might be reassuring for users to know that certain extensions have been through a more comprehensive and paid vetting process, the main upshot of the scheme will likely be to provide a boost to Mozilla's revenue, courtesy of the selfsame developers that already create much of the value within the entire Firefox ecosystem. Switching topics completely, OpenWRT has become a member of the Software Freedom Conservancy. And as the router firmware project originally came into being after Linksys released some GPL code that it was using, the move has a certain symmetry about it. Meanwhile, Red Hat has announced that another clutch of household names from the tech and finance industry have adopted the GPL cooperation commitment. The initiative is designed to give violators of the second versions of the GPL and LGPL licenses a chance to come into compliance, rather than have their rights under them immediately revoked, which a strict reading of the licenses suggests should be the case. The program now boasts over 60 members and has been endorsed in the past by the Free Software Foundation itself. Two weeks after the release was first tagged, IBM has formally announced version 14 of its advanced toolchain for Linux on Power. The self-contained build toolchain helps developers produce code that's optimized for running on IBM's Power hardware and yields most benefit for CPU-intensive applications. As well as bringing updates to its core utilities, the new version also adds support for the latest Ubuntu LTS release. And speaking of Ubuntu, project lead Mark Shuttleworth has jumped into an ongoing debate about community representation. While Shuttleworth appears to share some of the frustrations other Ubuntu users have been expressing, he didn't offer up any pat solutions, but instead asked for further input from the community. And like all of today's other stories, you can find a link to that conversation in the show notes. Ubico has started retailing a hardware security key that combines USB-C and NFC connectivity. The new $55 Ubi key was designed with modern computing devices and mobiles in mind, and offers multi-protocol support on iOS, Android, Windows, macOS, and of course Linux. It's been a quiet few days on the desktop application front, with only a couple of new releases worth flagging up. An update to the Cobbird Twitter client brought some usability and memory usage improvements, while the latest version of Ardor's digital audio workstation adds new loudness analysis and normalization functionality. Microsoft is bringing the ability to mount external Linux file systems to WSL2. 
The feature is available in the latest preview build of Windows, but does come with some restrictions. For now, only whole disk mounts are supported rather than partition level ones, and while the feature will work with USB disks, it currently doesn't support removable flash drives. And finally, the list of operating system choices for Pine Tab owners keeps growing longer and longer. Nightly development builds of Mobian are now available for the handheld device, which couples Debian underpinnings with the Fosh mobile shell from Purison. An ongoing port of Arch Linux to Pine 64 devices also appears to be making good progress, with support for the new Pine Tab being one of the highlights of its latest release. And that wraps things up for now. There's more about today's stories in the show notes, and you can visit our website at tabsnotspaces.com to read a full transcript of the podcast, or to contact and support the show. We'll be back on Wednesday.